Um, it's, it's interesting uh, that today is uh, kind of in the middle of final exams because uh, we're going to be looking, finishing up here with the story of Joseph, and we're kind of in Joseph's final exam. It's the final test of everything that he has kind of gone through, and we've been walking through this for some weeks now. We, we, we know that everything God has allowed in Joseph's life has been to prepare him for what's about to happen, his final exam. Uh, he's been rejected by his family, falsely accused by those he was loyal to. He's been punished for the sins of others. He's been forgotten by those who he helped. He's been exalted to one of the most powerful positions in the world. And he has been tested by both disappointment and success. Both of those things are a test, let me tell you right now. It's not just a test when things go bad for you, but you're going to find in life when, when things go well, when good things are happening, there's also a test for you in that, and you're going to have to learn how to, how to uh, navigate that and press through, through that. So we're finally, all of this has been to prepare him for the moment we're about to come to right now, Joseph's final exam. And the final exams happens because now here Joseph has been exalted into this high position. And all at once he looks out one day at the many people who have been coming to buy food. And he sees that his brothers are among them. The brothers who started him on a pathway of you know, selling him into slavery and all the pain and hurt, everything else that, that occurred. He sees them now. And, and what's going to happen? How is he going to respond? Can you imagine while he was laying for those 14 years in, in prison and in slavery that some nights he laid his head on his bed and he thought to himself what he would ever do if he got a chance to see his brothers again, right? Maybe it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to love them. You know, that would be wonderful. You know, I, I think he probably laid there and, and, and thought of some cold revenge of some way he could get even for them, to, with them for what they had done. They had taken everything away from him, taken his father away from him and all, all of his uh, sense of destiny and mission and everything there. And, 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 and now he, he comes to that. And so here, here, here it happens. And his, his brothers don't recognize him. They come in, he's probably dressed in the garb of the Egyptian, and he, he speaks to them roughly. He accuses them of being spies. And he's got a big question that's in his mind, in Joseph's mind. And the question is this, have they changed? I know I've changed. I know things have happened in my life during this time. But have my brothers changed, or are they the same people that they were uh, back then. And this is the, this is the thing that's inside of him. You, you know, there's a difference. Sometimes a big confusion can happen if you, if you cross the idea of forgiveness and the idea of trust. Forgiveness and trust are two different things entirely. I can forgive you. That's a gift that I give. I, it's a, I cancel a debt that you, that you owe me. I can forgive you but there's a difference between me forgiving you and me trusting you. Forgiveness is a gift that's given, but trust is something that's earned. And even though Joseph may have come to a place where he's forgiven his brothers, I don't think he trusts them. And he's wondering what really is going on inside of them. What really is happening in, uh, in, in this situation. And so he, he takes them. Uh, initially, and he throws him into jail for three days to buy himself some time 
so that he can think up a plan where he will be able to reveal what is the true condition of his brother's heart. And the plan comes into his mind, and it has to do with the other favorite son. Remember, Joseph was a favorite son. And he knows the other favorite son is his younger brother, Benjamin. And he thinks to himself, if they have the chance, would they do the same thing to Benjamin that they did to me? And he conceives of a plan to, uh, to, to find out what really is in their hearts. And we're in Genesis um, 42, starting with verse 18. This, uh, I think it's in your notes. It says this, Now Joseph said to them on the third day, so he's speaking to, the, to, to, to his brothers now, Remember, they, he's speaking through an interpreter. They, they, they don't, uh, uh, he, he's not even speaking to them in, in Hebrew. He says, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain for the famine of your household. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. And then they said to one another, so now you've got to catch this scene. So this, they've, they've been locked up in prison for three days. Now he gives them this thing, bring your younger brother to me. And so they, and they, don't, they think these people only around them, they only speak Egyptian. They're speaking in their little Hebrew language here. They don't think anybody understands them. And so they start talking to each other now, right, as they're in this scene. And, and it says, they said to one another, truly, we are guilty concerning our brother. So they've been carrying for 20-something years the guilt of what they did to their brother. Every bad thing that would happen, it probably came to their mind again what they had done, thinking to themselves, whoa, you know, this is, this is God getting back at us for what we did to our brother. We ignored his cries, and now look what's going to happen to us in this situation. And here they are again now. Something bad is happening, and immediately it comes to their mind. Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. And therefore, his distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning of his blood. And they did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them. And he wept when he heard their expression of guilt. But when he returned to them, he spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So Joseph gets his first hint that maybe his brothers, something has been happening inside of his brothers. And he realizes that they've been hearing his pleading cries in their conscience for 22 years. Well, they go back to Jacob, and at first, uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, says there is no way he is sending his son, Benjamin, to Egypt, even if it means leaving Simeon there uh, in prison. So, you know, I, I don't know what that tells you right there. It's not, it's not good. But, uh, but God has him boxed in, and, and, and soon he realizes they're going to starve to death anyway. He's got to respond, and so he sends Joseph's brothers back for more food along with Benjamin. When, when Joseph sees his brother, he can hardly control himself. Uh, he, he literally has to leave the room. He's weeping so hard. And, and uh, he's weeping. He's weeping because of what he's lost, you know. Maybe some of you have wept these kind of tears, you know. So, uh, some of you, your families maybe broke up when you were little kids. And, 
And, uh, you know, in a sense, you grew up without, you know, maybe a father in the house or a mother uh, there. And uh, I know there came a time, you know, it was when I was here really at school, when I, I had come from a really messed up family and broken situation. There came a time where I can remember weeping right here, as a matter of fact, right at these altars. And, and, and just weeping out of a sense of, it was, it was really a healing cry that was happening because it was a crying that had to do with what I, acknowledging and admitting what I had lost, that I had lost the love of the Father my whole life long and, and, and just, 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 just weeping that and grieving it finally because as a young person, I never, I never really processed what exactly had happened to me. And, and so I, I, just, I just cried and I grieved. And he's weeping. He's weeping when he sees his brother. And so the trap is ready to be sprung. And he can now find out if his brothers have changed. So this is what Joseph does. This is the plan he had conceived Joseph sells them their food, but puts his choice chalice in his brother Benjamin's bag. And now after they have gone a short way, he sends his soldiers to arrest them and for them to come in and say, hey, look, dude, check these bags. And, and they see Benjamin has it. And he tells the rest of his brothers that they can leave Benjamin to stay as his prisoner now because Benjamin stole from him. So they can. And so he's wanting to see what his brothers will do. Is there, is there a chance for them to get rid of another favored son? How are they going to respond to this? And then we see in Genesis 44, 30 what happens here. He says, now therefore, uh, Reuben is talking. He says, now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, he's speaking to Joseph, he said, and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the lad's life. When he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servant will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For, for fear that I see the evil that will overtake my father. So Joseph sees that they're not the same men. And when he realizes that they wouldn't do to Benjamin what they had done to him, he just... He just breaks. And uh, it's, it's just, it's so powerful. He just, he, just be, he, just, he just totally breaks. As a matter of fact, they will go on and we'll read, and it says that he wept so loudly that not only his own uh, people and the people around, but Pharaoh's court heard him weeping. And, and in this next passage, we begin to see how Joseph perceived what was happening. In your notes, I think it says this. It says, perspective is the point of view that I look at life from. My perspective changes everything about my life. Perspective is the point of view that I look at life from. And my perspective changes everything about my life. So we've seen Joseph. We've, been, we've walked through here for weeks. We've seen Joseph go through all of this torment, all of this time, and out of this torment, there has been a, a wisdom, there's been a perspective that has developed in, inside of him. And perspective changes everything. Do you believe that God has a plan or is life an accident? 
You know, do you see it's just things just an accident? Uh, do I see myself as being cared for by God, or am I on my own, and I'm, am I an orphan? That is, do I see myself as a, as a person who is somehow the apple of God's eye, that God really wants to touch me and help me and be with me and strengthen me, or do I live my life like an orphan, just on the edges of everything, not really loved, not really cared for? Do I see myself as a victim of other people's choices, or a person who can change their life by the, the choices that they make? Do you see yourself as, you know, these people did this and these people did that, and now my life, I'm just simply a victim of what other people have done? Or do you realize that under God's direction, you can change the direction of your life by the choices that you make? And so here it comes now. It gets revealed to us. What did Joseph learn from 22 years of trial? And it's right here in Genesis 45, starting with verse 1. Let's, let's see what he says. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now listen to what he says. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Okay, everybody say that with me right there. Verse 8 there, he says, Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Say it again. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He, he, he looks at it, he says, he says you know, man, I, I've come to see something. I've come to, I've, somehow God has lifted my eyes, and you guys are not the big players in this thing. He says, I see beyond this. It's not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. And then in, in verse 50, we see from Joseph's words again, he, he, he expresses the same thought again. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So in your notes, I want us to look at Joseph's perspective on his trial. Maybe it'd be good for you right now. What's the biggest trial in your life right now? If you've got a pen... Just jot it down on the notes. What is the biggest trial in your life right now? Maybe it's a broken relationship, 
maybe it's a family issue that's going on. Maybe you've got a health battle that you're facing. Maybe you're, you're struggling with something else. It's the biggest thing, the biggest trial in your life right now, okay? And, and so let's look at Joseph's perspective on his trials as you think about your trial. Number one, God is using all the circumstances in my life to fulfill his plan for me. Uh, we think of it another, God works all things together for good, right? He's using all the circumstances. Look at Genesis 45, 80, says this. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It's not you who sent me here, but God. So what, is this, what does he mean by this? It's not you who sent me here, but God. Now, let me tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that God threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. When he says, it's not you who sent me here, but God, he's not saying to them, you know what, it wasn't you that threw me in the pit and sold me into slavery. No, he's not saying that. Um, uh, if you've had abuse in your background, he doesn't mean that God abused you. You know, it's not you who sent me here, but God. He doesn't mean that somehow that, you know, God was involved in that. He doesn't mean that God approved of what happened to you. He doesn't mean that those that hurt you are not guilty and needing forgiveness. He doesn't mean any of that kind of thing. What he means is this, okay? Listen now. He means that God is bigger than all the pain, stupidity, and wickedness of this world. He means that he has chosen to look past the evil intent of his brothers to the good intent of God. I, uh, I tell a, a, a story sometime um, about uh, a fish, you know. Fish is out in the water, and the, the fisherman is trying to fish off the side, and he, 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 uh, he catches the fish and pulls it in. And he, the fish is kind of not what he wants, Maybe it's too small, maybe it was the wrong kind, whatever it is. So he unhooks the fish, and he throws it back into the water. And I asked myself, well, what did that fish think about that experience? Right? You know, he, he gets hauled in, and, you know, you look at the, he, the, the, the fisherman looks at the fish and goes, nah. Right? And I'm thinking the fish is feeling rejected. Right? Because if he liked me, he would have thrown me in the boat, you know, with everybody else. But what the fish doesn't realize is that it's a life-saving rejection. You with me? It's a life-saving rejection. You know, some of you have had relationships with somebody, and the relationship has gone sour, and you feel rejected. Let me tell you right now, it could be a life-saving rejection. Right? It could be, you know, it, it all depends on your perspective, right? It depends how you look at it. Do you, I, I, do you look at it as, oh, wow, I've been, re you know, I, I can think back, you know, I can think back when I was here in school and, you know, I fell in love with this girl, I remember, and, and uh, I thought this was going to be, you know, this was it. I mean, I had plans in my mind of where we were going to go as a freshman, and I had plans in my mind of what it was going to be like and what our future was going to be like and how I was going to earn my money. I had the whole thing kind of worked out, you know, all, everything that was going to happen, everything that was going there. And, and then uh, an old boyfriend came back into her life, and she... 
and she threw me back in the, in the pond. You know what I mean? She, I, you know, it was like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't good enough, you know. And uh, at the time, I was absolutely devastated, right? I was, I was crushed, right? But, but over time, I came to realize that what appeared to me at the time to be a crushing rejection was actually a life-saving rejection, right? I would never have become who I am today. All the dreams that I had of the life we would have lived, they would never have led to the path that I'm on right now. None of those things would have come together in the way they needed to come together. I thought it was a rejection, but the truth was it was a life-saving rejection. God is at work. You know, when I was a kid, my parents were separated when I was probably, you know, uh, three years old or so. And I had no father growing up in, in the house. Um, at one point, I was, I was put into a foster home and went through the, uh, all the weirdness. And, un, you know, people were, were not good people that were in the foster home. They had drinking problems. And, and, you know, if I did something wrong, they would lock me in a closet. I mean, it was that kind of goofy kind of thinking. And... and, and uh, you know, when I was growing up, as I gained more sense and stuff like that, I thought to myself, "What a, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happened in my life to have no father and to have no support for anything I wanted to do. If I wanted to play baseball or get involved in this thing or that thing, I couldn't do any of those things because I didn't have anybody around me that could stand with me and be with me or anything like that, you know. And I looked at that as like, wow, this is like a, you know, I had a father hole in my life, a tremendous gap inside of myself. Now, little did I realize that what I was experiencing as a, it was kind of a rare thing that families were like that at that time. What I was experiencing as kind of a rare thing for the next generation that came after me, it was going to become a common thing. And, and this, this uh, rejection, in a sense, that I dealt with, this abandonment by family and, and di- different things like this, it really helped to set the stage that when somebody preached the gospel to me, the, the first people that really made an impact on me preaching the gospel were actually families. It wasn't just an individual. And they brought me into their home. It was my first experience of any kind of a normal family experience. And they brought me into their home, made me a part of their world and stuff like that. And I was so hungry that it opened me up to hear the gospel and to receive Christ and, and to be changed. Not only that, then as I began to minister, even as a young person, because of the pain that I had walked through, because of the experiences that I had walked through, all at once I found that I had a voice to a generation. And these people, people came from all over to, to hear me share and to hear me speak and interact. God had given me, had put me in touch with the pain of that generation. God had done something. He had prepared me to bring a message and to bring help and to bring strength to, uh, to, to, to a, 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 a people, see? Make a difference in that way. And God, he's, you know, he, he, he does these things, you know, uh, he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And this is what, this is what Joseph, the realization that Joseph comes, comes to, that 
God has been involved in it all and that he's using it all and he's worked in his life and that he was preparing him for something. Now, you've been touched by things. Things have touched you, right? And it would be easy for you to become focused on the natural man, right? On, on, on human people and what this person did and what this person didn't do and how these people responded, what happened in this way, all this kind of stuff. But you have got to learn from Joseph, right? You don't have to go through what Joseph went through. You don't need 22 years of suffering to get a hold of what I'm talking about right now. You can begin to lift your eyes right now above the circumstances, above the situation, and to put your eyes on God and to say, God, I don't understand exactly everything that's going on, but I believe that you have a purpose, that you are doing something in my life, and that somehow you're using even these terrible situations and circumstances to form in me your character and to make me a person and to prepare me that I could become the savior of many at some future point, that I will, my life will somehow be able to reach into a situation and a circumstance and pull people out of the fire before they're destroyed, before they're consumed. See, that's what happened with Joseph, and it's God's plan for you. Okay, in your notes, number two, God can even use my failures and the failures of others to fulfill his plan. I'm giving you Joseph's perspective right now. This is Genesis 45.5. He says, Now do not be grieved, he says to them, or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Don't get, he says, don't, don't, listen, you, you know, you've had people around you do stupid things to hurt you. And you have amen that and have done some pretty stupid things yourself. You know, you didn't, you didn't really even need somebody else to do it. You, you, you did stupid things. And he's speaking to us here and he's saying to us, he's saying, you know, the amazing thing about God. I, I was trying to think, how do I express this? I don't even know if I can even say this because it's, it's like at the, you know, God is, he's so big. And I don't know how to put this exactly into words. But let me tell you what I've, the assurance I've come to in faith in my heart. God is so big. It's like, he's like, picture it like this. If I was a conductor of an orchestra, if I wanted to produce beautiful music, everyone in the orchestra would have to be perfect. And you would have to do what you were supposed to do at exactly the right moment, Otherwise, because I am finite, because I am limited, because I have very limited power, I have limited ability to see the future, because I'm so limited, if we were going to produce something beautiful, every person here would have to do their part at exactly the right moment in the right way at the right time. But when God is the conductor, and he is almighty, and he is all-powerful, and he is all-knowing. He's so great. Every person in the room can hit the wrong note. And yet because he knows how everything is going to come together and because he's working to make it all, everybody can hit the wrong note, but we still end up with beautiful music. That's crazy, isn't it? He is so big, so great, so powerful, so knowing that he doesn't insist that I be perfect. 
He says, I'm perfect enough for everybody in the room. I'm perfect enough for everybody. You just hit your triangle. You just blow your horn. You just pluck your bass. You just play your violin. You just, you just do your part. And don't worry about it. Because I'm going to make it all come together. Because I have a plan. Something, something's here. And I've already known your stupid moves. I've already known your failures. I've already known the things you're going to do wrong. I've already known all the mistakes and the problems. But the amazing thing is, if you will look to me, if you will keep the right perspective, I will take all of your weaknesses, all of your inabilities, all of your failures, all of your wrong decisions, and I will weave it together in a way that you end up in the right place at the right time to accomplish the thing that I want you to accomplish. That is the thing that fills me. That's the thing that keeps me at peace when everything is good. Because I have that confidence in God. That God has it all together. And that even if I, if, if I, had, if I had to say, be here and to say, okay, uh, I can make this whole thing will work out if I'm just perfect, I, I'd give up right now. But when, when I can look at the Lord and say, if you can take me, with all my weaknesses, all my imperfections, all my inabilities, all my short-sightedness, all of my dumb mistakes, all, if you can take that and somehow do your thing with it in a way that I end up exactly where I'm supposed to be. See, that's what happened with Joseph's life. He, he, said, he says to them, don't be angry with yourselves. He says, you don't have to be angry with yourselves. Listen, you don't have to be angry with yourself. So you... You know, you went out and drank when you shouldn't have drank something, you know, and you did something stupid or, you, you know, or you're, you're looking at ending the semester in the bottom and, and you know, you're going to be coming back next semester on academic probation. You're, you know, all this kind of, that, this is not the end of the story, folks. This is not the end of the story. If you will, like Joseph, Keep your eyes on the right place. If you, like Joseph, will say, it's bigger than me, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You're going to do this. You're going to put it together. You're going to make me able to accomplish what needs to happen. You, you, the amazing thing is when the whole thing is over with, you're going to be look at, it, look at things, and you're going to be able to go, wow, God even used my, the rejections I experienced. He even used the pain the world inflicted on me. He even used the failures of people around me. He even used my own stupid decisions. He used it all to get me to the right place at the right time so that I could save many. I could save many. Okay, number three. God is working in my life to make me better. I'm going to quit on this one. God is working in my life to make me better. My character is being formed in my hardship. Every trial that touches your life, God will use to make you better. Every trial that touches your life, God will use to make you better. Now, it, it has, it, it, you can lose this. You get filled with vengeance. You get filled with anger. You get filled with 
short-sightedness, not understanding that the momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that God has for you. You get the wrong attitude. This is why we've got to fight for our attitude. You've got to fight for, for Joseph's perspective, just like he did. When he went from slavery to prison and prison to being forgotten, every time he had to fight for his perspective to be able to see it the way God wanted to see it. And if you understand this idea that, that God is working in my life to make me better, everything that's happening, everything that's going on, even the dopey things, even the stupid mistakes I've made, God is using it to make me better and to get me at the right place at the right time so that I can save many. Let's bow our heads and our hearts. Can we do that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you so much for this semester. I realize people's minds are filled with things right now. They've been jamming them filled with all kinds of stuff. But I just ask somehow this morning that you'd get through all the din that's going on in people's minds and somehow you'll just put something, a faith, into their heart. A faith that raises them above what other people do to them a faith that raises them above even their own mistakes, that they'll believe that God truly is able to finish the work that he has begun in them. Lord, something that can hold them right now and over these weeks of vacation, Lord, I ask you to fill them with something so precious and so powerful. I thank you for each one here. I thank you for the chance to, I, I don't have a chance to hang out and connect the way I would love to with every person that's here, but I thank you, Lord, for each one, for the relationships that they've made, for the connections that they've linked, linked into. I thank you that as I've stood as a, as a father on the hill and looked down on them and the, watched how they've been processing things and working through things, Lord, you've been using them to fill my heart with faith that God still has other generations of people that are going to come through Elam, they're going to change the world. We thank you for it. Lord, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to strengthen them now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Amen.